Welcome to the Paleo View. I'm Stacey Toth, best-selling author and co-creator of PaleoParents.com, where we focus on real-life solutions for families seeking health. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times best-selling author and creator of ThePaleoMom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Hi, listeners. We're back. And I'm wondering, Sarah, how excited are you about paleo effects? I, so I just turned in my slides. Like, I am not finishing my talk on the airplane on my way to the conference or in my hotel room the night before or several hours before I go on stage. It's like, I I mean, there should be like singing and dancing right now. This is, you mean you're, you mean now that you're in that age upon which we don't talk about, you're doing grown up activities? Well, I I didn't, didn't succeed at this last year. (laughs) That's true. You were still, you were still living in your thirties last year. Yeah, that's it. Maybe took, maybe took a, a year of warming up with an age that starts with a four to finally, finally hit understanding uh, how to plan ahead sufficiently. And I'm really excited about my talk. I um, really took a lot of time to do some extra research and really round out and, and get a lot of like cool new papers to talk about that uh, have, it's not stuff that has been in any of my uh, blog posts before or my uh, books before. Like it's all new stuff, research that I'm doing for my upcoming book and it's going to be in this talk and I'm really excited and listeners, guess what? My presentation is going to be on the on-ramp stage, which means it's going to be streamed live for free Sunday afternoon. <laughs> so uh, uh, we can put links to the live stream. But if you just kind of like – if you just Google PaleoFX live stream, it'll get you there. We can put links in the show notes as well. Um, and you like sign up for an advance, and then you'll be able to see the whole schedule um, I think I'm sort of like mid, early or mid afternoon on Sunday. I will know what time my talk is before my talk. This is this is my plan. I, I got my slides in, so I'm you doing can, really well here. You can look it up, add it to your calendar, put it as a reminder so you don't forget because it is a live stream, which means well, and, you and need to watch it while it happens. It's in Central Time, so depending on what time zone different people are in it'll be at a different time but um yeah i'm i'm excited that it's you know got some some cool new uh fun facts and material and i hit i hit a few studies as i was researching this that were like what i mean just really cool like i actually hit a couple of studies that made me add a chapter to my new book that was how cool the research was i'm shocked that you added material to a book um, I am trying really, really hard to make this book not an encyclopedia. Like it's, it's, I'm putting serious effort into making this book, uh, one that you can actually hold in your hand without getting like carpal tunnel syndrome. So, uh, we'll see if I succeed, <laughs> but I'm, I really am. I'm really am trying to keep this book, um, super focused. Like that's, that's the way I've, that's the way I'm doing it is instead of like paleo principles is so big just because it's like this comprehensive, everything you need to know about health type book. Um, and the paleo approach is kind of like that as well. Um, this one I've, I've re- I'm really zooming in on the gut microbiome 
And I'm trying to, every time I start thinking about following those tangents, I try to like rein myself in and like, no, no, that doesn't save it for a blog post or something else. But um, really trying to keep this book very, very focused on uh, gut microbiome health so that it doesn't spiral out of control and weigh six and a half pounds. This is, this is my goal. Not another six and a half pound book. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Good goal. I'm getting there. Good goal. Yeah. I, I think, uh, I think I've got another month or two of writing left. I'm, I'm getting, I'm starting, it's starting to take shape and it's, it's getting exciting. So, uh, let's, let's hope I can stick to the, <laughs> stick to the plan. So speaking of cool science studies that impress you, I think right. I sent you one that I'm interested to talk about. Um, I am too. I, I mean, I love it when you send me stuff because you always, it's, um, you send me a mix of two different kinds of things. I don't know if you know this one is like, uh, WTF is this, uh, crazy pseudoscience BS. Is that, okay? is that okay that I used all those acronyms? <laughs> I'm totally down. It made okay. sense to me. <laughs> and, and, uh, wow, look at this really, really cool new study. Like it, it tends to be one of those, those two things, this, the stuff that you sent me. And this was the latter of those. Um, and I think you sent it to me uh, last week, but I hadn't had time yet to actually go and download the original paper, read through the original paper. I had just gotten through the like news article summaries and, and uh, was like, wow, this sounds really, really cool. And then as I was reading the actual scientific study, it, you know, sometimes uh, sort of press release and uh, media articles exaggerate the findings of a paper or they sort of misrepresent the conclusions or sometimes they just misrepresent how strong the conclusions are. Um, but I thought actually the, the media uh, summaries of this scientific study were, were pretty on point with the uh, impact that this is going to have on the field of sort of understanding uh, allergy development. So I, I'm totally down with like, let's talk about this really cool study in detail. Awesome. I'm so excited. And I feel so validated when you tell me that something is interesting and not complete hullabaloo. And <laughs> I'm like, all right, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> I mean, usually if I tell some, you tell you something, that's something hullabaloo, you had the suspicion already. Usually yeah, yeah. it's still sure. affirmation. I'm sure. just saying. Um, no. So this is a really exciting study. It was just published a couple of weeks ago in the journal of allergies and asthma. Um, it, uh, oh, hang on the journal journal. I said the journal name wrong. got to do it again. So this was, a, it's a really cool study. It was just published a couple of weeks ago in the journal of allergy and clinical immunology. Um, and the senior author is Dr. Joan Cook Mills. So it's her lab that this research came out of. And, um, it's a really interesting study in the sense that they've actually in this study, completely developed a new animal model of uh, childhood allergy development. And actually really the first animal model where they can actually get the development of allergy in a age in a, a mouse that translates to uh, sort of infant and young childhood allergies in humans. So prior to this study, um, all of the 
um, animal research that's been done in trying to understand uh, allergy and immune tolerance and all those related topics, uh, you know, eczema and, and everything that goes along with, with allergy, anaphylaxis, um, they, the animal models, it's actually like surprisingly challenging to make an animal like allergic to peanuts uh, or eggs or, or dust or, or whatever the, the um, allergen is. And um, and they they have all of these. They'll give uh, peanuts along with like cholera toxin to to animals to initiate allergy. Like they have to have some kind of typically bacterial agent or toxic agent on top of the allergen in order to drive allergy development. And it typically takes uh, weeks to develop in animals. So you're talking about an animal that's already more of like the equivalent of an older child or a teenager, um, sometimes a, a young adult. So to have an, an animal model of childhood and infant development of, of allergies is really, really exciting because it allows for deeper investigation into the underlying mechanisms because a child's immune system is quite different from um, an, an older person and adult's immune system, and it continues to shift. So the immune system, while we're still um, uh, nursing, right, that sort of young, uh, you know, hunter-gatherer, it would be sub five years old, of course, in most Western cultures, uh, kids are being weaned typically um, long before then. But that that immune system is working very differently when we're still relying on um, immune system factors from our moms through breast milk. And then it slowly sort of matures as, as the whole body matures and, and changes. And there's a reason why um, allergies are so much more prevalent in children. There's so many allergies that we can grow out of. And that is because of the development of something called immune tolerance. So immune tolerance is where the immune system has learned that something is bad uh, but has decided not to react to it. And there are some immunogenic foods. I mean, most of the studies are done in the context of peanut allergies, um, but we see also some a few studies in terms of gluten allergies, understanding gluten sensitivity uh, in the context of celiac disease that sort of fall under this umbrella as well, that are really trying to understand why all other things being equal, some people will develop a severe reaction to that food and other people, their immune systems still make antibodies, will still recognize that food as being a problem, but their immune systems keep that reaction reined in so that that person doesn't go into anaphylaxis. So you don't see any overt signs of uh, allergy or intolerance in other people. And what's really fascinating about this study's ability to develop a new animal model of allergy is it's going to allow researchers to really understand what's going on at a molecular level. They're going to be able to look at, um, you know, gene regulation of inflammatory cytokines. They're going to be able to look at cell signaling cascades within the cells. They're going to be able to really start teasing apart those mechanisms. And the more that we understand, the more that we can um, either you know, inform choices, right? You know, it, it may, there's obviously a lot of research showing that it's healthier for children to be nursing longer. That could, you know, affirm that type of research uh, with more molecular detail. 
Um, but it could also inform, you know, what age we introduce these high allergen foods. Um, there is also a body of literature showing that um, we develop better immune tolerance to foods if they're introduced before weaning. And so that's really interesting sort of, you know, side, you know, very related research that this particular new developed model could help, you know, could help us dig even deeper because there's, you know, things that we just can't do in human studies. Um, and that's why animal studies um, have a tremendous amount of, of power in terms of expanding human knowledge. And I do kind of want to emphasize here because we don't, talk very often about animal studies in this very positive way on the show. Um, I do have a medical research background and I did used to do experimentation on rodents. Um, so I do have uh, extreme familiarity, not just with how that research is conducted, but also the uh, incredible attention that is paid to animal welfare and ethics throughout those procedures. I just kind of want to take a little tangent to um, assure people that, um, you know, at least in uh, Western countries, you know, America, Canada, um, Europe, where this type of, you know, Australia, where this type of research is being done, there is a tremendous amount of attention being paid to make sure that the animals that are being experimented on are never in pain, that they're uh, euthanized in humane ways that um, and that there's never anything wasted so that you're really getting the most amount of information for the fewest amount of lives possible. And even though, you know, it's it's you know, these are animals that are bred for science, they they would not be alive otherwise. Um, I really still firmly believe that that attention to uh, humanely uh, treating them and respecting their contribution to human knowledge. I really think that's very, very important. So I just kind of want to take it a little aside as we're talking about an animal study to sort of emphasize that that is the current standard. It's regulated at both an institutional state and federal level to make sure that animal experiments are done ethically and humanely. So I just want to just stick a pin in that one. No, I um, think that's, I think that's super helpful. And I, I personally, as someone who this matters a lot to me. I was a vegetarian for seven years and that kind of stuff. I, myself, I know it's a nuance and it's difficult to do where ingrained as a culture to put a label and a box on things and animal testing in general is a negative connotation. But when it comes to science and it comes to things like cancer prevention, you know, improving disease or, understanding how to keep people from dying from anaphylaxis, that's a different compartment for me. Different thing than putting blush on a bunny. Yes. Or like, you know, shooting ink into its eyeball to see how it reacts, which is one of the things I learned about when I was a, a, you know, a teenager and spoke on the debate team about, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's a difference between let's just see what (laughs) happens and we're doing this for, the intent of helping humans. So that's just my personal opinion. Obviously not everybody is going to have the same belief, but I think for the purpose of what you're talking about, just to understand that that's the basis of the study is what we're asking. We're not, we're not asking you to sign a petition. <laughs> so Right. Well, and, and um, you know, I just, I, your point is very well taken. The type of experiments that you're talking about have not been performed in 
decades. And um, institutions of higher learning have very, very rigorous standards. Um, I don't know how regulated this is in, it's certainly regulated in pharmaceutical research, but I don't know how regulated it is, is say, for example, in the cosmetic in, industry. And given that we've talked on the show before about how unregulated that industry is in the first place, uh, so do, it is sort of important to separate out um, you know, experimentation on animals um, in an academic institution for basic science research is a very, very different type of situation compared to uh, a cosmetic company. So um, I don't kind of want to put the say that I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm for all animal experimentation because I think there are situations where it is not done uh, as ethically or, or as humanely. But having gone through the um, incredible uh, amount of procedures and training and um, uh, and uh, like everything that goes around with devising a scientific study that is going to use animals for experimentation, I can assure our listeners that in academic institutions and research institutions, that is done as rigorously as possible. So that whole part of developing a new model beyond opening up these like wonderful opportunities for understanding the development of allergy much, much better. It also, the study, like in, in that development, shed light on something that's really, really important that is happening in our society today. And it's sort of a perfect storm of allergy triggers and something that really has only happened over the last few decades, but may be responsible for the giant increase in childhood allergies that has been seen in the last 20, 25 years. And this is a, a really important thing to sort of emphasize is that there's a lot of diseases that are related to excess, right? It's related to uh, our sort of cushy Western lives where we don't have to work for our food. Our food is super refined. It's full of all kinds of chemicals. Uh, we're spending so much time indoors. We're not very active. We're not going to have sleep. We're stressed because we're working all the time, right? And all of those things have been uh, gradually getting worse and worse and worse since the 1950s. And chronic disease in general has been continuing to increase in incidence and prevalence over that period of time. So if you look at graphs of diabetes, obesity, cardiovascular disease, uh, some cancers, but not all cancers, uh, autoimmune disease, generally everything's increasing. You know, there's some leveling off of cardiovascular disease incidents over the last 15 years or so. There's uh, some cancers like uh, smoking-related cancers that are going down. Um, survival rates for a lot of cancers is improving. Survival for cardiovascular disease is improving, even though incidence and prevalence for many of them are continuing to to go up. So overall, you can you can really draw a straight line between how our diet and lifestyle have changed since the 1950s. It's not just um, refined and manufactured foods and trans fats and high fructose corn syrup and glyphosate and GMO. Like you can you can see all of the influences that those have had on our health and negative influences. Um, the food pyramid, the low-fat propaganda in the, through the 70s and 80s. You can see the impact that all of those things have had, but it's also the fact that we're getting two hours less sleep a night than we did in the 1950s, that we're working substantially more than we did, that most, you know, the the percentage of 
uh, two households is dramatically higher compared to the 1950s. I mean, exponentially higher. Um, we're as more sedentary than we've ever been. We're spending more time in front of a screen than we ever have. Uh, we're spending less time in actual direct human contact than we ever have. And we can understand mechanistically all of the rules that that have had in these rise rises in, in chronic illness. But with allergies, I mean, asthma has also been increasing over the same period of time as have allergies. But starting in the sort of late 90s, uh, ch- incidents of childhood allergies really started to spike. And everything else has been this like slow, gradual increase that kind of uh, correlates with this slow erosion of Western diet and lifestyle. But this spike in childhood uh, allergy incidents doesn't seem to align with this gradual increase of everything else. And so, you know, the question is like, why? What What is it about childhood allergies? Is it the food supply? Is it uh, the fact that, you know, since moms are going back to work so soon and certainly in America, um, maternity leave is – I. I'm gonna I'm gonna sound Canadian here, but it is ridiculously short. I have some serious problems with how uh, ridiculous the maternity leave policies are in America. Um, We're the only first world country that has no mandatory paid leave, just for the record. But anyways, what is amazing about this paper is it isolated something else completely different that I know that you find really really interesting, Stacy, as being the. Um, extra thing added to the formula that is likely the reason for this dramatic increase in uh, in allergies, and that is baby wipes. So I just reiterate here, (laughs) because we've been doing this show for over five years. I've been paleo for eight years. And one of the things that brought me to paleo was the health of my children. I started personally being a super crunchy mom, breastfeeding, moved to cloth diapering, like you name it. We, we, if it was weird, (laughs) like we gave it a shot (laughs) at least. And it wasn't until the birth of my third child, because we were focused on foods and stuff like that. We just hadn't figured out it out yet, right? Like we were trying different things. And, um, you know, one of my biggest regrets, not that I, you know, hold, hold guilt or shame in my head because that doesn't do anybody any good. But one of the things that, you know, frustrates me the most about what I thought I was doing positively for Cole was I gave him so much soy when he was a baby. And, um, there's nothing I can do about that. But my point, I digress, is that we focus so much on all these different facets of our life, including food. And what really kind of propelled us as a family, as the paleo parents, as the original authors of a family-friendly paleo cookbook, an allergen-friendly cookbook um, written for kids, was because my child had asthma. Because my child had eczema, I did everything I could to figure out what was causing those problems. And the thing that ultimately helped us in the long run was changing our lifestyle factors when it came to food, because we were already doing so much in other areas. But what I hadn't realized at the time is that, you know, the cloth diapers that we were using, we were still using disposable wipes because 
non-disposable wipes was a lot less pleasant, as you can imagine. So um, it's fascinating to me that all of these things that we focused on for so long, it wasn't until we'd been doing this for over six or seven years that I started thinking about the products that we were using in our family and how much they affect our health. And I know that we've talked about that more lately. And that's because of stuff like this. Like it's just, I think we all know, and we've talked about for five years, how much food and different things affect our health. But when a study like this comes out and says baby wipes is and the ingredients in them, which I'm sure you'll get into, is one of the causes for allergies being increased in children. Like, it literally just kind of blew my mind that science proved this and are showing how the ingredients that are affecting our bodies are causing long-term health that we had no idea was attributed until it was like a side effect of another study being done. Like, it's just, obviously, I'm a little bit like... Because you can hear my jazz hands and my hand talking and my bracelets jingling. And I'm like, what? You know, it's just, I want to make sure that people understand the emphasis to what it was you just said. Because it's crazy. I I still have baby wipes in my house. And I, since reading this, have decided that I'm not going to buy them again after this. Um, but it's, you know, because they, well... Okay, let's. They take stains out of carpet like nothing else. They really are. <laughs> I'm gonna keep one little, one little package around just for clip. But then I'll wash my hands afterwards. I think that's like the take home message. Let me dig into the science a little bit um, to just kind of explain what happened here. So, they had um, mice with the same genetic mutations that predispose humans to eczema. And these are very, very common genetic mutations. Many, many of us have them. Um, and they were heterozygotes, which means they had one copy of the gene. So they, um, it means they're more sensitive to diet and lifestyle. So something else has to happen for them to develop eczema as opposed to homozygotes, which are just always going to have skin problems. So very, very relevant to general human population. They exposed the mice to an allergen. It was either peanut allergen, egg allergen, or like dust allergens on the skin. And what they did was they actually then also um, just wiped the skin. It was just a quick little wipe of the skin with um, some of the same chemicals that are in baby wipes. So uh, things like sodium lauryl sulfate. So that's, um, you know, also very commonly found in a lot of soaps and shampoos and something that I'm very sensitive to and haven't had in the house for a very long time and buy uh, sodium lauryl sulfate free baby wipes. However, it's not the only ingredient that's a problem. There's also sort of alcohol and other ingredients that are, um, what they do is they um, make the skin barrier more leaky. So it's a variety of compounds that are found in various soaps. They're really, really common in anything that's sort of a cleaning ingredient. And um, you can sort of think of, you know, they, they're cutting grease, right? So they're, they're drying. And the cell membranes, every cell in our body actually, is made up of fat molecules. So if you've got something that has a detergent level type quality, it can break apart fat molecules. And what's different about baby wipes versus washing your hands with soap is the rinsing. So um, what uh, Dr. Cook Mills, you know, very sort of like intuitively, you know, figured out was that 
this is it's a different situation with this um, explosion of disposable baby wipes. I mean, my my baby br- brother is uh, 30 and we still used cloths, you know, little washcloths with him um, and and cloth diapers and washing everything. So it's sort of more like right the last 20, 25 years where bi- baby wipes have become the standard, even in people who are using uh, other sort of environmentally friendly cloth diapers and other types of um, uh, sort of disposable diaper alternatives. And um, what happens is you you wipe you know hands, face, bottom, right? They're used as a sort of all-purpose cleaning, and it does have these like soapy chemicals in it to clean. But then we don't rinse it off, and that's the big difference between in ye olden days. Uh, sorry, Sandy, I just called you ye old. Um, but in ye olden <laughs> or, days, or as Wesley would say, that was just five years ago. Five the, years old, ago. the olden times is what he calls it. I'm like, yes, <laughs> yes, um, yes. My my kids who ask me if I uh, had to chisel on stone tablets when I was in school as a kid, completely seriously. Oh, but uh, it's fine. It's fine. I don't feel old at all. Um, so so what was different was this idea of rinsing. So if you um, washed, uh, you know, your baby's hands with a washcloth, it was probably just a, a wet, warm washcloth for starters. If you used soap, you then rinsed it off. Like that's standard procedure, just like it's still standard procedure if you wash your hands at a sink that you're going to rinse off the soap. So the difference between rinsing off those chemicals, right, then they can uh, attach to any, you know, bacteria, viruses, and it gets washed, you know, flown off, washed off with the water. If you're using the baby wipe, you're A, relying on the chemicals to do the antimicrobial activity sitting on the skin, but you're also letting them stay on the skin where they can continue to erode the integrity of the skin barrier. And what's fascinating is they also showed in the study that you couldn't visually see that erosion of the skin barrier until long after the allergies had actually started. So these mice did also develop uh, eczema or atopic dermatitis, um, but it was later. So they were able to disrupt the skin barrier and um, then the allergens were able to get across the skin barrier uh, where they were then um, exposing the immune system to these allergens in a much more efficient way than if the skin barrier was intact. The immune system was overreacting, and then eventually that would lead to inflammation that would cause eczema. Um, so an eczema is sort of considered a like sort of a like a leaky skin um, type uh, condition, right? It's driven by inflammation, but it impacts the skin barrier, which then continues to drive inflammation. And the same, these sort of like leaky skin type gene mutations that these mice have is the, the same ones that drive that uh, development of eczema. So this this difference of rinsing these uh, soapy you know chemicals off versus using baby wipes and they stay on the skin, um, that's that was the magic perfect storm that this new animal model is of you know we take these mice super young and it's literally like a twenty minute exposure it's which is in in mice this is super fast it's it's completely relevant to uh, 
what our sort of day-to-day exposure would be like. They didn't have to use crazy amounts of allergens like they've had to in the past. And these animals developed anaphylactic allergies against the allergens, which is it's just mind-blowing to have this scientific study show this direct link um, not in right. We've got all all of the back and forth over the last twenty years about when to introduce peanuts to our kids. I mean, how many times has that number changed? It's two years old. It's five years old. It's one years old. It's six months old. No, it really is two years old. No, it's five years old. It goes back and forth, and then different doctors will give you different advice depending on whether peanut allergies are in your family or not. Right. All all of that research has been um, without this context of this other environmental factor in our life that is increasing our immune system's um, exposure because things can get into our bodies. So the other recommendations that came out of this paper beyond, you know, if you're going to use baby wipes, rinse the skin afterwards, right? Which I think it wasn't a down with baby wipes type conclusion. It was a rinse the skin afterwards. But also think about... Uh, allergens on your own skin as you're handling your baby. So if you make a peanut butter sandwich for your older child, make sure you wash your hands and you wash the kitchen. Make sure you wash your older child's hands and face before they handle the baby. So there was this extra um, recommendation that came out of this paper of, you know, look, we live in a world where um, there are a lot of chemicals around that are basically making it easier for allergens to enter our body and um, challenge the immune system. So let's see how we can reduce that, but then let's also assume that's the case and try to, to manage allergen exposure as well. And I thought that was a really interesting, um, a really interesting way to sort of make this particular research study very relevant. Um, but it was, I, I mean, I, I saw the baby wipe stuff and I was like, huh. My, I mean, my first reaction was like, huh, really? And as I dug into the research, I just went like, wow, this is um, – I, I really lament having used sensitive skin baby wipes. I'm like, so, granted, the sensitive ones are – but – Can I just point out that when I was at your house and I saw them, like, front and center in your kitchen, mm, yeah. um, I, it took every ounce of self-control I had not to be like – WTF. <laughs> but so the other thing I will point out is that, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, but this idea of, you know, washing the skin after a baby wipe needs to be a wash that doesn't contain the products that a baby wipe would have, because then you're not actually washing the chemicals off. So SLS, as you mentioned, is going to be in a lot of hand and body washes. So just be careful. I know for me, like we would use, let's say the baby wash or something like that from Beauty Counter that we know is clean of those products. But there's a lot of different products out there that are going to be clean and safe. Just research them because if you go and grab just the baby wash from your local Walmart, it's not going to solve that problem for you. Yeah, I, I mean, what this paper really suggested was simply rinsing was going to be sufficient. So to think of the baby wipe, uh, and certainly I would recommend 
Um, sensitive baby wipes tend to have a lot less chemicals in them, but check the environmental working group uh, score because the range on baby wipes is really, really broad. So it goes, um, you know, all the way from, you know, some of the uh, sort of really um, natural, you know, it's, it's a few essential oils and water type baby wipes all the way up to it's all the chemicals. Um, but all of them, what this, all of them, so all of them. Um, but what this, what this paper really was saying is like, think of it as you're putting soap on the skin with a cloth. Um, if you just took a pump of hand soap and rubbed it on, you wouldn't leave it there. So to just think about rinsing it off. So just water by itself should be enough for um, these these chemicals to be rinsed off. But I would add on that the extra, especially if allergies or eczema or autoimmune disease uh, runs in your family in, in any way, to go the extra level of finding options that don't have those um, harsh detergents in them. I would also agree. And I would also ask for people to consider the environment when using disposable wipes, not just, I mean, while we're on the topic, um, not just the ingredients and the safety factors that we're talking about, but this week was Earth Day for those listeners. And oftentimes we celebrate these kinds of things over the course of a week or a month. So for me and my family, we are talking together about what we can do to make a difference in the environment and switching disposable wipes to even something like compostable, um, recyclable type material makes a big difference on the eco footprint on the earth. So as you're looking into things, they might suggest focusing on that. Um, and for me personally, um, I used to use baby wipes to take off my makeup. I don't know if that's a thing that you use them for, Sarah. Um, but like, I plead the fifth. <laughs> so most women actually do this, I found out. And um, because they're way cheaper than makeup removing wipes. Um, so if that's work some- really well. If that's something you're doing, ladies, just as much as these things are not great for children, it's not going to be great for you to use that yourself and leave it there. Um, I myself gave up on baby wipes for several years because of the environmental stuff. And I started using a um, compostable decomposition friendly, I forgot like the name of it, um, recycled material, compostable material, eco-friendly wipe that's all clean of ingredients. And I used that for travel when we went on the cruise and it was amazing because it was the first time that I'd used a wipe in years. Um, But just to put that out there is another thing to think about because it's really important, not just for the health of people, but also the health of earth when we're using products that we're throwing away all the time. And I get it. Like we cloth diapered, but we use disposable wipes, but there are better options these days. So just try to consider that when you're doing your research. Yeah. You know, when you, when you read a scientific paper and then you have to like, <laughs> rethink everything, <laughs> everything. And then, and then you're like, Oh, I have to change everything. And I also have to like give up something that's really convenient that I, I like a lot. 
Um, you don't have to give it up. I'll send I'll send you a pack, Sarah. And then you don't even have to pay for it. It's just going to show up and you can replace it with what you have. It's going to be magic. You're not even going to know. It's just, you're just going to be like, wow, look, I no longer am putting these problematic things on my face. You're going to love it. It's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I think it, I think it is truly stressful to change routines, especially when you're talking about your kids. I mean, you, I, if, my family is any sort of a measure. My kids had just the most sensitive skin and it took such a long time to find products that didn't irritate them. And, you know, you, you get in a routine of something that works or that you like it because it takes stains out of a carpet and you're not thinking to yourself, why is it removing the stain from the carpet? <laughs> just kidding. Give me a hard time. But I, I, I know that it is overwhelming to think about changing all that stuff and how it might impact, you know, like, Oh, what if my kid starts getting diaper rash again and all that kind of stuff. So, um, I, I like the idea that you mentioned of just rinsing as well. I, I would personally avoid the chemicals, but it's good to know that from a scientific perspective, even that is going to be a significant improvement in health. Um, some, something as simple as that. And you can keep like a squirt bottle of water, um, on your diaper changing station and some cloth, like cut up some rags that once the bum is clean, you can just use water and a rag to, to wipe it down. Like you don't have to take your baby to the bath and rinse them off every time you go to the bathroom. I think that that could be a workable yeah, solution. I would totally think that's, and I actually, um, I mean, I still have piles of baby washcloths around because I did use baby washcloths more often for, you know, face and hands. And then I used wipes for, uh, behinds, but, um, but yeah, I have found, I, I, yeah. Um, I, I, I have, I, while you were talking, I, I looked up all of the environmental working group scores on the ingredients of the, the wipes that I use and they are one of the best scoring wipes. So that is making me breathe a mm-hmm. huge sigh of relief because it's like the first 10 ingredients are all plant extracts. Like, aloe and calendula so like whew, okay and it doesn't have any of those bad chemicals awesome. but i'm still going to try to minimize <laughs> i just feel like hmm seems like a good a good thing to do and with that i hope that this was helpful and we've provided you some solutions instead of making you feel like we've just ripped your world apart. And the one parting gift that I want to give everybody is to just take a deep breath and let go of your mommy guilt. Like for those of you that are mothers that you're feeling like, Oh my gosh, what did I do? First of all, nobody knew. Second of all, having guilt does not produce any different results. So I know how mommy guilt will creep up. And so you just, I'm going to instruct everybody Breathe in, breathe out, let it go, and then work on a change going forward. Whether you share this information or this podcast with someone you know that's pregnant or has small children, or whether it's, you know, making a decision to use a different product tomorrow, or, you know, whatever that change is, just move forward and let go of the past. Let it go. (laughs) Let it go. Says the mom of two daughters. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Why, why can't can't you sing the entire song? What, While I completely support boys that enjoy that movie, 
and not that all girls necessarily do. The Sisterhood movie is one that my boys watched once and moved on from. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, Did not happen in my house. Um, In fact, there are still periodically, Mom, can you play the soundtrack? Like, in the car. So, it's just a different thing when you have daughters. That's all. Well, everyone, uh, I am off to Paleo FX. I hope to see you there. And next week, we'll be doing a uh, roundup of my fun, hopefully with me not crashed on the other side. I'm going to try and get enough sleep. That's This is another one of my Think big goals. Think positively. The last time you traveled, you had no issues. I didn't say it to you because I didn't want to jinx it and point it out. I'm, I'm so, so much knocking on wood right now. But... Think positively, good vibes, load up on the vitamin C and the zinc and the organ meats and the water, get the sleep, you'll be fine. Thanks, man. You got it. Well, everyone, uh, I hope to see you at Paleo Effects, and either way, we'll be back next week. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show... Please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. So I think speaking of biome, that was a stretch. Um. It's too much of a stretch. That's not a good segue. Try again. (sighs) (laughs) Well... You have to let me have, wait, hang on. You have to give it a mad clean cup point. You have to wait for me to stop giggling. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, you can't cut it. And I just totally gave it. Oh, come on. It wasn't that bad. <laughs> no, it wasn't that bad. I did it to myself by giggling. And I just, okay. <sighs> All right. I'm, okay. I'm good. I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.